Hi, friends, and welcome to a special edition of Intersections, Linda's birthday edition. It's not even Linda's birthday month anymore. This came super late. It was supposed to be released like the last week of April. So Linda, in typical Linda fashion, for her birthday, wanted to celebrate other people's stories. And so we had a live storytelling event and a bunch of friends and family showed up. Via Zoom, because we're still in quarantine, obviously. (laughs) Um, And it was amazing. And it was a really beautiful evening with friends and family. And we had four storytellers and a poet share their pieces. And Linda, why don't you tell us about the theme, Masked, why you chose Masked as the theme for the evening? Yeah, so if you follow me on Instagram, um, you'll see that... I recently posted about a pregnancy loss that we experienced um, back in April, and going through that experience was emotionally one of the hardest things and most painful things I've ever had to experience. And I realized that I was able to kind of process and move through it because I had friends in my life that shared intimately about their pregnancy loss. And for me, that was for real my saving grace through this whole thing. And so I decided to host a storytelling event to talk about people's embodied experiences and how when we show up with our mask off, how much healing other people can gain from our stories. So really it was to honor the friends in my life that have chosen to do life with me with their mask off and to honor these voices um, that I was blown away with during this event. Yeah, and I think too for my own piece, like this, this is an event, while I totally recognize that a lot of the burden I could carry some of the emotional weight and help Linda physically through some of it, but my burden was different than Linda's, but a part of a part of the experience that we shared together through this this hardship that we went through, this traumatic event that we went through together was finding that it it kind of cracked us open mm. and made us more compassionate. Um, I found myself just wanting to be kind and gentle to everybody I encountered because we're all going through stuff and we never know. Everyone is carrying an unseen burden kind of became the motto for that week. And we decided to commemorate that moment in our lives by printing some poems that we framed and put on the walls. And, um, yeah, something to remind ourselves, like we don't want to forget this tenderness and this compassion Mm. that we gained. Mm -hmm. And we knew that life can harden us so easily and make us forget that tenderness and compassion. So now there are reminders on our walls, um, a Rumi poem and a quote from Ram Dass that says, we're all just walking each other home. And these are reminders um, to to go about life with our masks off when, when it's appropriate and when it's safe to do so, um, so that we can truly be here for each other, if that makes sense. Um, so... Yeah. Before, before Austin introduces our first storyteller, I also want to say we highlighted five voices in this episode, but I definitely want to acknowledge all of the participants that listened and held this sacred space. Um, 
because I honor your story that you are walking in. And I hope that as you listen to this episode, that something that becomes real for you is that you feel validated in your own story. So without further ado, our first storyteller, Cameron Purdy. Um, He has been a dear friend of mine for a long time. We came to know each other in high school, but didn't really get close until um, college. And we've, we've, if you review our journeys together, it's we've done all kinds of stuff. We've traveled the world. Uh, we've been to Argentina together, and we've worked together in different places. And we've we've been through lots of ups and downs. Um, and he was a near and dear friend to me, and he became a near and dear friend to Linda quickly on in our our relationship because he's just an amazing person that becomes. Anybody who he meets, Cameron's our soulmate. Yeah, he becomes he becomes your favorite person really quickly once you meet him. Um, we went on a two week road trip and we came out the other side um, like better friends, not worse friends. Even though we were all three of us in a tiny little Prius for two weeks straight. And yeah, Cameron is a, a beautiful soul. And here is a story about taking off the mask from Cameron. Hi. <clears throat> As he said, my name is Cameron Purdy, longtime listener, first time caller. Um, this, this story happened a few weeks ago. I was on my way to therapy and I was riding my bike. I pulled up to the building, locked it on the side and walked into the very cutely arranged lounge where you sit and wait. And where I was waiting for it to come out and say, hey, come on in. And I took my seat and as I got settled in, um, the door opened and this tall, middle-aged, blonde, white lady came out. And as she passed, she, she said hello. Now, my ears heard hello, but the, my other four senses, uh, my other four senses, the information that they gathered came to my brain and they held the vote. And it was four to one that that lady was not saying hello, like with the rest of her body, which was not a problem. We were strangers. I didn't know her. Clearly, she was just coming out of therapy. And, you know, it wasn't a problem. But I, just being an observer, I thought noted. Um, soon after, Kay popped her head out and said, come on in, Cameron. And I stood up and I, as I walked through the door frame of her office, my, my vibe meter went to the swampy end of the scale. I don't know, I wasn't sure what it was, but I could tell that something, something had happened. You know, just, yeah, the vibe was, I, I'm describing it as swampy. Um, which was, which again was fine. That, that was the previous session. Um, I took my seat in my normal, in the seat that I always sit in across from Kay. And she, and she said, how are you? Now I was, I was having a good day. I had been baking sourdough bread. I had been listening to some old Taylor Swift tunes, dancing in the kitchen, eating Reese's puffs, cereal. I was having a good day. Um, and, and so I said that I said, I'm having a great day. I'm doing, I'm doing well. Then I paused and through my head, I thought about, okay, do I want to know how she's doing? Is this, like, I'm paying for this, this is my time. Do I wanna go there? Do I wanna explore how she's doing? Cause 
something was going on. I ended up asking her, and how are you? And she was taken a little aback, a little surprised, and she said, what do you mean? So I was like, okay, I'm, giving, I'm getting a second chance. Do I really want to pursue how, she, how she's doing during my therapy session? Um, and I was like, sure, why not? It, it's okay. Um, and I, I said, well, the, your client that just left said, said hello to me, but didn't really say hello to me with the rest of her body language. And then when I walked in, I just felt that there was a strange energy. And, and as I was saying this, her, her eyes started filling up with, with tears. And so I said, and I seeing it, I called it out and I said, and you look like you're going to cry. And that's when the, her chin fell to her chest and her palms came up to her face and the tears started making their way down to the carpet. Um, and there was silence after that. And you could call it awkward silence, but since awkward silence was something I was learning to sit with in therapy, I stayed, stayed the course, um, and I, I sat with it and let, let her tears flow. Um, after a few, I don't know how long it was, but after a little bit, I was like, you know, I can come back. I have a pretty flexible schedule and we can do this another day. And she, she was a little too worried about my well-being, and asked, are you sure? Are you okay? No, we can, this can happen. But then she started crying again and uh, more awkward silence. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'll come back. You take this time for yourself. I think you need it and you definitely deserve it. Also, I couldn't let a therapist helping me undo forcing and stuffing my feelings. I couldn't let her do the same for me and go on with therapy. Mm -hmm. So I soon hopped on my bike and left and we rescheduled. On the next uh, session, expressed how much she appreciated and how how much she appreciated me and how thankful she was that I was the one that had walked into her room on that day at that time. Cause if it were another client, she explained the scenario would have, you know, would have been different. It wouldn't have, she would have had to have stuffed her feelings. Um, so for, so even for me, she was trying to maintain this professional, this professional mask um, and not let her personal life get in the way of her job. This made me think of a, of a song, y'all know Queen. He has a song called The Show Must Go On. And in it, he says, in the chorus, he says, the show must go on, yeah. Inside my heart is breaking. My makeup may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. And judging him on the depth that I know Queen, which is very surface level, I think that is a little bit, or a lot of it, unhealthy. Uh, I think emotional health needs to be held at least to an equal, if not higher standard than physical health, which are truly very intertwined. Um, we have physical education classes and I'm, I've been wondering why aren't there emotional education classes, you know, like in elementary school. Um, and I'm not saying the show must not go on, but I think more attention needs to be paid to emotional health even if that means taking off the professional mask for a moment. Connection has become more and more important to me as I've gotten older for 
this many and many, many more reasons. And I think I want my message to be, actually there's a few. Um, one, if you see something, say something. Um, I think we need to look out for each other. Check in with someone who's not looking well, who's upset, angry, or mad, which often those are masks themselves. Mm. Um, and, or check in with someone who has tears behind their eyes. Yes, it was my therapist, but beyond that mask of therapist, there was a hurting human. Uh, I later found out, or she revealed to me, that she had just found out that she had, all, she had miscarried as well. Um, and I've never heard of anyone complaining of receiving too much compassion. Mm. Um, the, another thing is I want us to remember that we're all human and behind each face, no matter what that face is representing at the moment, there's a human with a complex set of emotions, triggers, training, and history, all influencing the mask or the expression delivered to you in the form of a face. Um, and faces often try to lie. They try to, yeah, they try to lie. Um, that, and so, yeah, I kind of want to leave you with that is just reckon, don't forget to recognize that whatever the overall theme of the interaction is, like have compassion for the other human that's right across from you because there's, you don't know the story that's going on behind them and give them, give them the space that they might need. Thank you, Cameron. All right, before we unmute in three seconds or so, um, quiet, you know, quiet your barking dog, get ready to give some snaps or some hoots and hollers. Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you, Cameron. Happy birthday, Linda. Thank you. Love you. Linda. Cameron, thank you for that. That was a gift. Um, Cameron is somebody who is amazing, like I said before, at taking the mask off and um, so much so that even his therapist treats him like a therapist. That, that like touched my heart as a therapist myself. Um, like there are those moments when it is so hard to, to keep your mask on. Um, and yeah, when, when I heard that story, it just touched me deeply. Like, oh man, that's too real. Woo! Be kind, be kind to, to everyone you meet. Thank you, Cameron. Our next storyteller, this boss lady, um, she stands on her own. She is a Pilates instructor in the birthplace of Pilates. Um, and when she's not instructing Pilates, she is consulting for global health or taking on her own initiatives for global health. She is also one half of the power couple, Debbie and Devin Sandiford. So without further ado, Debbie Sandiford, y'all. Yes. Uh, I first want to thank Linda for having a birthday. <laughs> and I just want you to know that I'm doing this for you. So th this story is a tribute to Linda. And... And I also want you to know that I'm always going to be outside your door. So last week I was in my room here in Brooklyn, in my two-bedroom, two-bath apartment at the epicenter of COVID-19. And in case you're not familiar with what that would mean, it means that we're the most impacted city on this planet. It means that there's fridge trucks around the corner 
of my neighborhood that have been forklifting bodies, mostly black and brown ones, means that my neighbors have called to say that they might not be coming back. And even my husband's got text messages of the map of the distribution of COVID-19 cases in the five boroughs of New York City. And I instinctively and instantly go and Google the maps of the distribution of median family income and homelessness in those same boroughs. And wouldn't you know, they're exactly the same. Mm. So it's been exasperating. I just put the boys to bed, come back to my room, and I go glance at my phone and see a text message from my college professor turned friend who just sends me a quick FYI of an article that his colleague from Princeton just put out in the New Yorker that day. The, line, the first line in the article reads, the old African-American aphorism, when white America catches a cold, black America gets pneumonia, has a new and morbid twist. When white America catches the novel coronavirus, black Americans die. Hmm. And the article continues to outline the damning systematic destruction of black and brown bodies. I tried to start working, but of course I'm extremely weighed down because of the intersections that I embody professionally and personally here in this apartment with my two black sons and my black spouse at the epicenter of this new virus. But I keep trudging along because I need to work. The boys have been put to bed, their bellies are full, and thank goodness I can work because many people cannot. So what I see the next morning instantly brings me back to being a high school student in my parents' room. I'm staring at probably a D plus. I'm taking AP calculus. It's the only math class I have left to take because I've taken all the other math classes the school has to offer, but I'm doing so poorly. And my mom says, go ask your dad for help, which makes sense because he's the scientist and engineer in the family. So he's taken everything, I'm sure, from physics to linear algebra to calculus and all of that. So I'm like, okay, great, sweet. Thanks for the suggestion. It makes sense. So I walk over to my parents' room where my dad is, and I sit next to him on a mattress on the floor. And I ask my dad if he can help me. I sit down with him, I open my math book, and I start reading the first part of the word problem. And he goes, mm-hmm. I read the next part of the problem. And he says the same thing. And I read the next sentence in the problem. And he goes, mm-hmm, and adds a smile and a giggle. And I read the last question for that problem. And he looks at me and says, okay, so what's the answer? And I am astounded. I'm absolutely astounded by his apathy and I storm off. I storm off to my room, past my mom in the kitchen and I told her, I told you so. I'm struggling in this class and I come to an expert for help and all he could muster was that. Here's somebody that can help me with the very thing that I need most. And he's my own dad but he doesn't care enough to help. Mm. So I felt helpless. I felt angry. I was utterly disappointed and just completely shattered, completely shattered, which is exactly how I felt when I woke up the other morning and looked at my phone. It's about seven or so in the morning. I flip over, grab my phone from the floor, start thumbing through my usual morning routine on my device, which is check the news headlines, peruse through the, ta peruse through the did I say tabloids? I don't do that. 
Ruth through the articles. Look at the weather. Check my email headlines. Check some messages. And I finally go to my daily dose of social media. And lo and behold, on Instagram, and this isn't the first time that morning because I've seen it for the last few weeks. All I could see are recipes being made, sweet treats and hipster caffeine being delivered to doors, amazingly staged sing-alongs, and all I could do was cry. Mm. All I could do was cry because to me, that was depicting a story of humanity that was trying to out this poignant moment in history mm. instead of dropping into the pain that this reveals about the planet and the people living on it. But I get it. I've been guilty of the same, of TikTok dances and trying pastries and getting new recipes in my book. But the reality is that black and brown bodies are being destroyed on a systematic scale in epic proportions throughout the globe, even today. So there was this deep disconnection that I was feeling that morning. But I trudged along and I kept going with my morning routine. And the next thing that I typically do is flip over and grab my book from my nightstand. And this time I'm trying to finish the last eight pages of The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. And wouldn't you know, the answer is right in front of me. And she says, the most radical approach to resistance is acceptance. And acceptance does not mean accepting the world as it is. It means accepting our pain as it is. If we refuse to accept our pain, then we're just trying to make ourselves feel better. And when our hidden motive is to make ourselves feel better, there's no limit to the damage we can do in the name of justice. And she goes on. The power of letting your heart break is not just something to admire in other people. All of us have to let our hearts break. Mm. It's the price of being present to someone who is suffering. And if you can't bear the pain of your neighbor suffering, then in one way or another, you're going to push that person to the margins. It'll take courage and insight because the people we push to the margins are the ones who trigger in us the feelings that we're afraid of. And I completely lost it. With tears streaming down my face, my book now completely wet from the tears, I thought about a question that Linda asked me a couple weeks ago. She asked me, do you guys feel isolated from your family support now that you have moved to Brooklyn? And I figured out my answer in another layer. I don't feel isolated, but I definitely do feel disconnected. And the next thing I could do, and the only person I could text in that moment was Linda. Hmm. And it, it really saddened me to know that she was the only person I could text. Mm. So I tell her my pain. I tell her the pain of living in this epicenter with my black boys and my black spouse. And in true Linda fashion, she responds, I read the article you sent last night and I thought about where you were and where you sat as you read it, in a house with your black partner and black sons. 
And that was the response I needed. That was the connection I needed. But I'm still seeking the answer to my final question, which is how do we not allow ourselves to be seduced by polite society and and its deeply rooted apathy, yet be sober enough to find even one way to revolt? Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to unmute it. And I want you guys to give love to my girl, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. Yes, Debbie. Yes. I know I couldn't have been the only one that, uh, that had tears flowing on that one. So cheers to that story. Thank you for, thank you for this gift to Linda on her birthday of a beautifully told story and your vulnerability and your, your challenge to us. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out as I was hearing this story. Um, I know that there are friends here who are doing anti-bias, anti-racist work. This work is so important and the emotional labor that Brown and black folks carry to do this work is heavy. And um, I want you to know, you can always check in, check in with us as your people. Um, Debbie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Deep breath in, (sighs) exhale. So our next storyteller (laughs) is the other half of that power couple, Devin Sandiford. Um, Oh, wait, no, it's Chrissy. Is (laughs) none other than my sister. (laughs) I got the flow sheet wrong, y'all. I wrote it. It's his tears. It's his tears. Yeah, I can't see through them. I was like, what's what's the... My sister is one of the deepest feelers um, that you could ever encounter and one of the deepest empaths. And she is a medicine woman of the the truest sort. And she she never heard of a mask that she didn't already take off. So um, she's going to give us a poem. And so it'll be a little break from the storytelling. But... I am going to ask her to, to briefly tell the story of what inspired this poem, if you would, Christine Moscadenas. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm so really grateful to celebrate you, Linda. And thank you, sis. always um, just feel really inspired when you ask me to write for you. Like, I want to do it so much. And I want to share it. Um, so I started writing this poem, I don't know, it's probably been like three weeks or so ago, and it's just been since this quarantine, and what's kind of interesting is that I finished up a journal and started a new one, and I haven't had a lot of words until this writing, and, um, I've been just mostly drawing, um, but anyways, so just, uh, I think really, Uh, What I love about Linda is that um, there's such a deep intuitive um, connection that she makes with everybody. And so I really feel like she was calling this writing out. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's something that's based on just recent experiences and the things that I've been processing and interactions with people that are really important and close in my life. Um, So, read it. (laughs) Wind. 
far to there from here in the future, sideways, backwards, face down, aloes and lemon, brown girl, glowing in all directions, riding through the rain, the candle, the candle flickers, watching the watching, mesmerized. This wizard's wand falls deep to the ocean floor, leaving trances of ecstasy. Dreams quickly arrive on the lips of this wild, no longer masked with projections. Honesty is the only way to move forward. Truth woven within the sacred respect for process. This tender garden to walk in, allowing only vulnerability to nurture the soil. Claiming this space, she protects the tears, honors the pain. Visions of sustained harmony, knowing the promises of the double rainbow. Bleeding with the full moon, carrying the weight with her sister, rising to the calling of this gentleness, birthed from the faces of hatred. Fearful of retreat, choosing understanding, surrendering to patience, shape-shifting with this four-legged who arrived with magic and intellect, alchemized, obsidian heart, heated by the fires of heartbreak, sharp edges of shallow breathing, inhaling the smoke, praying for clarity, exhaling into the vast unknown, calling in her protectors, remembering her integrity, wind blowing across her cheekbones. She smiles at the arrival of her great-grandmothers standing by her side. Their eyes sparkle with smiles, wisdom reflected in these diamonds, hearts releasing, hearts receiving. The delicate wisteria offering canopy, hundreds of petals to make hundreds of chandeliers radiantly shining down with sparkle. Setting the stage, soul sisters dance through the night, held by laughter and wonderment. Swaddled in fleece, she begins her dive to the dark, cool waters. These same waters that hold the pain soothe mm. her soul. Mm. My sister Christine read uh, a poem at our wedding. And yeah, it's really special to, to keep hearing and keep journeying with her through her written word. Um, thank you, Christine, for that gift for Linda's birthday. Yes. Thanks, sis. Um, yeah. And thank you for, thank you for being here. Thank you for being close with us in this process. So our next storyteller <laughs> is the other half of the power couple that I mentioned before, Devin Sandiford. Um, we just recently, uh, finally released another podcast episode with, um, Devin and Debbie and Devin is, I mean, it's too many things to list. He's like, He's an engineer. He's a father of two. He's a husband to Debbie. And what else does he do? Oh, he tells stories on the moth. And he was featured recently on the moth podcast. When was he featured? But when? In February. What's February? Black History Month. Black History Month. Who was he featured with? Hmm. A lot of people. 
No. Mm-mm. Several people. One person. Who was that? Reverend Al Sharpton. And it was an honor for Reverend Al Sharpton <laughs> to be featured with Devin Sandiford. And now it is our honor to receive a story from none other than Devin Sandiford. Thanks for being here. Wow. Thank you so much for that introduction and also for the space to have this amazing event, Linda. Thank you, um, for, thank you for saying yes. Yeah, of course. So three years ago, I'm sitting on my couch curled up just before midnight and I'm staring down at my phone. I'm staring down at my phone because I have to make a call to my dad that I've been prolonging for way too long. I'm 31 years old and I've managed to move from Loma Linda all the way across the country to New York City, but I can't seem to make this one call. I can't seem to make this one call because it's wrapped up in so much fear, so much self-loathing. I have a secret that I have for him and I haven't been able to tell him for three years. There's so much fear wrapped up in this secret because I need to tell him three years ago, I stopped believing in Jesus and the Bible. And I know that it's gonna be hard when I tell him that the religion that he's raised me in for seven days a week, 365 days a year, for the last 30 years, no longer has any value in my life. And there's a lot of shame triggers and a lot of self-loathing when I think about having to tell him that I'm not the son that he raised me to be. And so I'm sitting in the corner of my living room trying to build up the courage, and I just can't seem to do it. And actually, my original plan was to tell my dad um, sometime between not today and not ever. And actually, that plan was going really well. It turns out it's not really that hard to put on a mask and pretend to be Seventh-day Adventist Christian. It's actually really easy. Like, all you really have to do is, you know, go to church on Saturdays. And every once in a while, you can talk about a few things. And I have all the back history, so it's not really that hard to put on a mask. And my plan was going perfectly. I had no problem with my plan until one day I was sitting in a dark movie theater in Manhattan and there was just tears rolling down my face. I was watching the most heartfelt movie I'd ever seen. The movie was called Moana. (laughs) I was in a movie theater with laughing children, just bawling, just crying. And all it really took was just this girl from Montanui and her grandma asking, do you know who you are? Mm. And I knew who I was, but for three years I had been pretending to be someone other than I was to my dad. So as soon as I watched that movie, I made it up in my mind that I have to tell him, like no matter how much shame there is, no matter how much I'm gonna hate myself for being a bad son, I just have to tell him anyway. And that's why I'm sitting down in the corner of my living room getting ready to call him, and I'm so determined. But at the same time, while I'm sitting in the living room, I remember all the times before when I was supposed to tell him something, but I got too afraid. I remember the time when I was in high school and I was in shop class and I got my hand bumped into the bandsaw and cut my finger right down along the length of my finger. And even though my dad was only 50 yards away in his classroom, I decided to go the other way, to go to the elementary school nurse's office, who was clearly not gonna be able to help me with this big gash that ended up needing 13 stitches. But I just couldn't bring it to go to his office to talk to him. 
And I remember the time when I borrowed the key from him to open up the Loma Linda Academy gym. I figured I'd invite some of my friends to play and it turned out that a fight broke out and it was such a bad fight that somebody had to go to the hospital. And when I went to go return the key to him, I didn't tell him anything happened. I just returned the key and just hoped that he would never find out. And I remember the time when I was backing my car out of his driveway and I drove right into my parents' car and I got out and I checked the damage and I knew that I should have gone inside to tell him that I crashed, but I just couldn't do it. And instead I just ended up sitting down back in the driver's seat, just sitting in the driveway for 10 minutes. I just couldn't bring myself to it. Mm. And he would end up finding out about most of the things that I did, but he never found them out through me. But tonight, I know it has to be different. I have to share with him this. So I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And before I can really think about it too much, I just push call on my phone. And now the phone is ringing, but my heart is beating and it's pumping blood so fast through my body, like my ears. I have that thing where it's like pounding in your ears. I couldn't even hear the ringing. And then all of a sudden, I hear his voice, but it's his voicemail. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous and he hadn't even picked up. I'm like, oh my gosh. I worked up all this just to have him not pick up. And I sat there for like 15 minutes trying to figure out, you know, why am I so nervous? And the things that rush through my mind are like, my dad is the head elder of his church. He's one of the Pathfinder directors that's led me since I was like 10 years old in Seventh-day Adventist Boy Boy Scouts. And he's also one of the teachers at the largest Seventh-day Adventist school in the entire nation. Everywhere I am, my dad is... And I'm just terrified that I'm just not going to be worthy whenever I mess up. So when he didn't pick up, I started thinking about all these things and getting really nervous. And everything I thought about actually just made me more nervous. So I said, no, forget this. I just have to call again. And I called him again, thinking, you know, the double, double call trick. You call someone, you call someone again. They're going to pick up because they know it's an emergency. And no, he still doesn't pick up. And so I'm just sitting there and I have a chance to like, back out like I've backed out so many times before. But before I can do that, I decide I'm going to send him a text message so that way there's no way I can back out. So I I, I write out a text message and I say something to the effect of, Dad, I have something very heavy on my heart that I've been needing to share with you for the last few years and I just haven't been able to do it because I'm really scared. Can you please call me back as soon as you see this? And I push send. And I'm just sitting there waiting 15 minutes passes, 30 minutes passes, an hour passes, no call. And by this point, it's very late in New York where I live. It's after midnight, maybe one o'clock, and he still hasn't called. And I know he must be done with everything that he's doing. Why isn't he calling? And in my head, I'm just picturing that, you know, I've told a lot of close friends. I've told some acquaintances and I've told some strangers. So maybe somehow there was like this game of telephone where my secret that I was supposed to share ended up getting to him and he already knows what I need to share and he just isn't ready to hear it from me. So I sit there and I think about that and I reread my text message so many times trying to critique it and figure out what I messed up. And now it's like two, three in the morning and I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna call one more time. I'm just gonna get it out of the way. And I call again and there's still no answer. And at this point I'm like angry. I'm like, you know what, forget it. I did all I could, like three calls and a text message. And I said, like, it was something important. Mm. Like, you have to pick up at this point. And I just said, forget it. I'm going to go to bed. And I forced myself to lie down and go to bed. And the next morning when I woke up, I didn't see any missed calls or any text messages. So I just 
started working. I work from home, so I sat down and got into my day. And all of a sudden, my phone started buzzing on the desk, and it was my dad calling, and it was ringing. And except this time, I didn't pick up. I just wasn't ready. I had to do it on my own terms, and I just wasn't ready. I didn't want to be angry when I talked about it. I didn't want to be a child and try and back out and say, like, something that I, I wasn't planning to say. So I went to the park right down the street from my house to clear my mind. It was a beautiful sunny day and it was after everybody was off to work already. So it was mostly just me in the park and I had just the freedom to walk out and see the sun and feel lit, all light up again. And I pulled out my phone to call him and I pushed send and it's ringing again and I'm getting really nervous again. And I tell myself, it's okay, just breathe, just breathe. And he picks up and he says, hey Dev, what's up? And just like cut right into like, he wants to know what's going on. And I naturally just found myself going back to the text message I sent. Like I just repeated the text message instead of like being present in the moment. And I just said that I had something to share that I've been holding on to and that I haven't been able to share because I was scared. And this just bought me some time to like build up the courage. And I walked around the park and I finally just said, dad, for the last three years, I stopped believing in Jesus and the Bible. And I just left it at that. And I hear just complete silence. He doesn't say anything on the other side of the phone. And for a second, I wanna like jump in the phone and pull back my words, or I wanna like explain that like, oh, maybe this is just a phase that I'm going through. But I've gotten a little bit more comfortable in sitting awkward silences. So I decided I'm not gonna say anything. And as I'm sitting in the silence, I feel this rush of energy flowing up my body. And I feel so radiant. It's like I'm seeing myself for the very first time. And I actually really love what I'm seeing in myself. Mm. And so for the very first time, I realize that no matter what he says, it doesn't matter. Because this freedom that I've now found to open up and to allow myself to be seen and heard is more valuable than anything he could say. Mm. So I don't even need to wait for what he has to say. It's not about waiting for what he has to say. This was about being brave, brave enough to see myself, to find my own voice, to be the person that God intended me to be and to own up to who I am and love myself. Thank you. Thank you, Devin. We're going to unmute everybody. Show some love to Three, Devin two, Sanford. Thank you, Devin. I think you're probably speaking to folks who have journeyed a similar journey, if not the same journey. And some of us have found that bravery and plenty of us haven't. And I hope your words, um, whether it's, you know, the same journey of like, of reckoning with our faith or lack of it, um, we've all got something that we're facing and I hope I know that your words inspire me and I hope the same for everybody here. Thank you for this gift to Linda. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, um, I was supposed to, sorry, I'm supposed to be the spotlight keeper and I just kept telling Oops. you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, your story, I've, I definitely know what it feels like, um, to tell the people closest to you, who you truly want to be and to take off that mask. And um, I know it's not easy. So thank you for sharing your vulnerability and that story um, because 
yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I know that, that feeling. Um, I'm going to give it to Austin to do the introductions. Yeah. So Larnie Pollack doesn't need much of an introduction because she is a human can of Red Bull. If you've met her, you love her because she's amazing. <laughs> she's awesome. That's the best way to describe Larnie. Right? A human can of Red Bull. <laughs> Larnie is just like literally joy incarnate. If joy were a person, mm. it's Larnie. Um, Gosh. Yeah. So listen up, y'all. Hi, everybody. Thank you for being here with Linda. Thank you for celebrating her birthday. And whew, I'm not going to cry right now. Uh, Linda, I just want to I just want to say, girl, you are the only one that celebrates your birthday by. And I told you this earlier. You're the only one that celebrates your birthday by creating space for other people to be heard and to to share vulnerability because I know that that's what you love. And that is also the thing that I love about you is that you are not afraid to be vulnerable with us, which is why I can do this in front of freaking 50 something people. 62 Uh, people, 61 people. Oh my gosh, 61. (laughs) So, um, I titled my I titled my story Paper or Plastic. Um, so here we go. My first months in the United States are one of the most vivid memories from childhood. Grand Terrace Elementary School was where I attended here in SoCal. It's a predominantly white school with not a lot of kids that looked like me. So you can imagine an 11 year old Laarni a brown girl from a small province in a small town of a third world country, um, of a third world country getting an upgrade in life, basically, with air conditioned classrooms, you know, eating a burger and burritos and pizza instead of, instead of fish and rice from home. So because of my family's low income, I got to eat for free. That was pretty awesome until I found out that that wasn't cool. Um, (laughs) I realized, I realized that I made it here. It's, this is it. I'm, I'm rich, even though I wasn't. Um, the excitement going through the lunch line for the first time was uncontainable. The playground of my new American school had not one, but two colorful jungle gyms with real slides, swings that reach the sky, and my favorite real monkey bars. Damn. Yeah. I, 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 this, it, it, it's like Disneyland, but 50 times better. (laughs) It was a big contrast from our playground back home of flat tires and mud puddles and abandoned cars in the back of my elementary school in the Philippines. In the first week of my new school, I was playing by myself in the monkey bars that I loved so much. I sang by myself, pretended to be one of those gymnasts in the Olympics, practicing my bar skills, when a kid I don't know who pushed me so hard from behind, I could have sworn I spun around the monkey bar like those gymnasts. Unfortunately, my landing didn't stick because I landed on my face. 
I blacked out and just remembered the yard duty, duty pulling me up and bringing me to the nurse's office. I remember sitting in the dark room after lunch and just wondering what happened. I was a bit disoriented because when they asked me if someone could pick me up from school, I mumbled, yes, without even really thinking if this was possible. So you have to understand this is our second month in America, my first week in school. My family had nothing, no money, no house of our own, no car, no green card, or any state IDs at that time. The nurse calls my uncle's house where we lived and asked, may I speak to Lauren, pa Lauren Palick's parents? <laughs> my dad answers the phone, ah, I, I don't know, sorry, and hangs up the phone. The school nurse turns to me and says, we don't have the right phone number. Do you know your home phone number? She helps me dial my dad's answer. She helps me dial and my dad answers again. She hands me the phone and I start speaking to my dad, explaining what happened in Filipino. After he replied, which means, so how does this go? I reply, which means they want me to go home. It's a really long pause and my dad quickly says, Oh, sige, 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 which means, okay, okay, all right, all right, and hangs up the phone. About an hour later, the nurse calls me to her desk where my dad is waiting with a folder of documents and his passport all sprawled out this nurse's table. The nurse turns to me and says, is this, is this really your dad? I can sense the doubt and fear in her voice. She probably didn't want to release me to a person who could have been anyone without identification she wasn't too familiar with. I quickly said, yes, that's my dad. I sit down and listen as the nurse advised my dad to make sure that I take it easy for the rest of the day because I might have, had, I might have just had a concussion and that I'm excused for that day and the next. My dad signals that, you know, my dad signals, let's go, let's go home. So we walk out of the school office and of the school entrance. We walk to the parking lot and I didn't even realize what was gonna happen until my dad hands me an adult helmet. It was my uncle's bicycle helmet. I looked up and I realized that my dad had rode a tandem bike, a tandem bike, to pick me up from school. We didn't have a car. So this, of course, he was going to pick me up in a tandem bike. I didn't even have time to complain because my dad was already mounting the front seat and signaled to, for me to hop back to the back seat. It was a red tandem bike that my parents, that my parents bought from a yard sale a few days ago so they could go to the store and buy groceries without having to inconvenience my uncle to drive them there. Mind you, I was still a bit woozy from being pushed off the monkey bars, so I clumsily mount the bike, not even being tall enough yet to push the pedals all the way down. We start pedaling, me not really paying attention and still a little disoriented. 
a few blocks from school now, we approach Stater Brothers on Barton Road in Grand Terrace. I realized that my dad didn't really get the nurse's explanation of taking it easy. <laughs> what? It, that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty slang term. Because I knew that he didn't understand because he said, we're out of juice <laughs> and started driving towards the store plaza. Taking it easy is a pretty slang American term that he didn't understand at that time. So maybe if the nurse said something more like, she needs to be hospitalized, observed, or bed bound. That would have been more clear for my dad. Instead, we pull up and we walk to Stater Brothers together. Together, We grab the juice, and by juice, I mean the biggest Tampico juice ever, ever. If you have ever had Tampico juice, you know what I'm talking about. It's a gallon. And by, at the last minute, before we check out, my dad decides to buy a watermelon. Did everybody, a, a, water, a, a whole watermelon. <laughs> On checkout, the cashier asks if it will be paper or plastic. My dad simply and confidently replies, yes. The cashier looks confused for a bit and puts the watermelon and the Tampico in a paper bag. <laughs> so we didn't want to look, we didn't want to look like we didn't know what was going on and we didn't want to complain. So we pay and we take the bags. My dad instantly realized that he can't hold both and steer the bike. So he takes the gallon of Tampico out of the bag, held it with his left hand and still managing to steer both handlebars. I was stuck in the back holding on to the paper bag with a watermelon. We finally take off and start heading home. As we go down the last few streets before home, the paper bag with the watermelon breaks and the watermelon starts rolling down a small hill. My dad stops pedaling and I instinctively jump off the back seat and I'm chasing a rolling watermelon down a street at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I finally catch up, I finally catch up to it, and my dad rides to catch up to me. By that time, we were so close to home that I just ended up walking and carrying the watermelon larger than my head, like a like a baby in my hands. <laughs> I love telling this story because me chasing a watermelon down a slope after getting a concussion is such a funny and vivid story. The last time I told this story was in a family gathering last Thanksgiving. My sisters were there and so were my parents. As I finished telling this story and everybody is laughing hysterically, I turned to my dad and could see it on his face that my story All right, girl. That my story wasn't a funny memory to him. He didn't look mad or sad. It was the look of trying to laugh off a very embarrassing and low point of his life. Mm. 
Uh, I wanted to apologize as soon as I saw him. Ever since then, I've started to grow empathy towards my dad for that specific memory. I always looked at my parents and saw how great of a team. Mm. How great of a team they were and how strong, brave, steadfast they were for uprooting a family of five to America, a place that is so strange to them. My sisters and I rarely saw them be lonely or crying for leaving their homeland. I didn't notice how tired they were working jobs that were way below their education. My dad was a vice principal back home. He made minimum wage here when we got here. I didn't see how hard it must have been to pick up your daughter from school with a tandem bike and not quite understand what paper or plastic meant. So as I chip away from my parents' mask, the older I get, the more these memories hold so much value to me. I still laugh when I tell this story because it's pretty funny. I still love acting out me chasing that huge, that huge watermelon down the slope. But now when I tell it, it's not to make a joke or a party trick, but to truly honor my parents' sacrifices, the ones that I saw and the ones that I didn't. Mm. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Larnie, for that gift. Thank you so much. This is our, this is our second time hearing it, and still, we look like a hot mess. Um, and part of the reason why that, that, um, that resonates with me is because that immigrant story, you know, that story of our parents leaving the country and the home that they knew to, to get here. I know it relates to me. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And I think you're really, what you're really calling us to do is to practice empathy, I truly believe that this is the medicine for this moment, empathy. Um, so thank you for sharing that story. Whew. Deep All breath right. in. Thank you for listening. And as always, the, the highest, highest in us honors the highest in you. In you.